We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Uh, Evelyn, you know her? <clears throat> All right. I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles again to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Please go to verse 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 5. This is what the Word of God says. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things or, or rather for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We began the, the uh, epistle to the Hebrews and we said, by way of quick review, that the theme is the superiority of Christ. And the writer begins demonstrating that by showing that he is superior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is superior to, because of his person, he's superior to the prophets, and he's superior to the angels. Then in the beginning of chapter 2 that we covered last week, the first four verses was a, I said it was a parenthesis, okay? It was a parenthetical um, exhortation. Uh, the writer is exhorting them, urging them not to draw back, not to go back to rabbinical Judaism, but to continue in their faith. Now, uh, from verse 5 to the end of the chapter, we have Christ, it, made, it says that he was made lower than the angels. And it seems to be a contradiction, doesn't it? When it says that he's, you know, superior to the angels. Now it, say, it says here that he was made lower than the angels. Now the Father subjected the world to come to the Son. And that's what we're going to be concentrating on today. The Father subjected the world to come to the Son in verses 5 through 9 that we just read. Up to now, the writer's uh, pur purpose was to prove that the Son of God is better than the prophets, better than the angels. Now, he proceeds to prove that even in his humanity, Jesus, the Son of Man, is still superior to the angels. He is superior how? 
he's superior in his deity as well as in his humanity. At the end of chapter 1, in verse 14, he said that the angels are servants, ministering spirits. And uh, they're not rulers, they're servants. And for that reason, no servant can rule. Okay? God never gave authority to <coughs> excuse me, any angel over the world to come. He never gave authority to any angel over the world to come. It, it, what is the world to come? This refers to the inhabited world, to be sure, but it refers to the world to come, that is the millennium, the messianic age. So when you read there in verse 5, he says, For he has not put the world to come. What is the world to come? It is the new age, when the Lord comes back and sets up the millennium, his kingdom on earth. Okay? That is... Um, is given to the Son, not to any angels. Uh, you know, it means that the millennium will not be ruled by angels, but by the Son himself. Okay? Angels have no authority to rule in this present age or in the age to come. They are servants. Now, uh, in verse 6 through 8, we see a quotation. Remember that I told you that the book of Hebrews quotes heavily from the Old Testament? Okay. Here in verses 6 through 8, we have a quotation. Now, where is this quotation from? This quotation is from Psalm 8. So if you would like to open with me one second to the 8th Psalm, which is a messianic psalm. Go to verse 4. And this is what he's quoting from. Verse 4 through 7. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you, crowned, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea <clears throat> and everything that pass, passes through the paths of the seas. He shows here that when God created Adam, and this is talking about the, the creation of man because it says man, what is man that you are mindful of him? When God created Adam, though he made him a little lower than the angels, he gave him dominion over the earth. The Lord gave man dominion over the earth. He put him in charge of the earth. Okay? Now, because of his fall, the fall of man in, verse, in chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam forfeited that position and Satan took it. That's why the Lord called him a thief. He's a thief, he's a liar, and he's a murderer. John 8, 44. Okay? Satan usurped it. Because what is Satan's ambition always? Well, to be like God. To have authority. He wants to be like the Most High. He wanted to be like the Most High. And he still tries. He still tries. 
But then, in his humanity, Christ came in human form, did he not? Okay? To reclaim that title and to redeem fallen man back to God. He did that not as God, but as man. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam. The first Adam is the Adam that God created. The first man. And by the way, you know what Adam means in Hebrew? Means man. So when somebody says to you, I don't believe in Adam. What they're telling you is, I don't believe in man. Because that's what Adam means. What does Eve mean? Woman. Okay? So therefore... In his humanity, Christ came in human form to reclaim that title and to redeem fallen man back to God's original purpose. Okay? God's original purpose was for man to rule over the world. That's why it says there, you crown crown him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. How much clearer it cannot be. You set him over the work of your the works of your hands. What are the works of God's hands? Creation. He set him over creation to rule the earth. Okay? God gave him authority over this world, and it says they are putting all things in subjection under his feet. Okay? Now, the world was supposed to be in subjection under his feet, and it was until the day. He sinned till the day he disobeyed. Okay? However, though God gave man the authority over the earth, you know what? Up to this day, man has never been able to exercise such authority because of the fall. From Genesis 3 until today, man has not been able to subdue the earth. Nor will he. Okay? Now the whole earth is under the sway of the wicked one. John tells us in 1 John 5, 19. This whole world is under the power of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? Satan. So when things go wrong and things happen that are wrong, never ask why. You already know the answer. It's because the whole world is under the power of the wicked one. Okay? The dominion given to man has not been fulfilled yet, but will be fulfilled in the millennium when Jesus returns to the earth, as we are told also in another psalm. So if you open with me one second to Psalm 2, okay, which is, by the way, the first messianic psalm in the Psaltery. Psalm 2, go to verse 7, well, verse 6. God the Father is speaking, and he says, Yet I have set my king. Notice the king there is with a capital K. On my holy hill of Zion. Zion is the hill upon which Jerusalem is uh, set, sits on that hill. Zion, Mount Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. That's now the Son speaking. Notice. In verse 6, the Father is speaking. In verse uh, 6, the uh, 7, the Son is speaking. I will declare the decree the Lord Jehovah has said to me, You are my Son, today 
I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's talking about the millennial kingdom. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, comes back, sets up his government, and he rules this world with a rod of iron. What does that mean? That he is a cruel dictator? No. He is a benevolent dictator. He's perfect. What, what it means is that he will not tolerate any rebellion. He will not tolerate what's going on today. See, there will be no elections. Amen? There will be no elections. And we will not have the wrong people in government anywhere on the earth because he will be the king. And he doesn't need a parliament or a congress to ask their advice. And that's what it's talking about. That day is coming. And every Christian, every true believer is looking forward to it. Aren't you tired of this world? I am. I'm tired of this world. I'm sick and tired of it. The older I get, the less I want it. The older I get, the more I want to be with the Lord. Like the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passer through. My home is up there, way beyond the blue. I feel like a stranger in this world, more and more and more and more. But here we see that though God gave authority to man to rule over the earth, it says, for in that he put all things in subjection unto him, and though he left nothing that is not put under him, man hasn't been able to exercise that authority because of the fall. Okay? So who is the king of this world? The God of this world? Who is the God of this world? Satan. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe, that they may not see the glorious light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our job? Our job is, first of all, we must believe and show our faith and pray for those who don't. Because did you ever notice you talk to certain people and you talk to them, give them the word, and they can't see anything? The only way we can, uh, you know, accomplish anything, if we, if we can say, that, say it that way, is by prayer. Because God is the one that changes people's hearts. He is the one who lifts up the veil from their eyes. We cannot do it with the arms of flesh. Okay? So, um, man, because of sin, <clears throat> hasn't been able to exercise the authority God gave him because of the fall. Now, now this is why we read now, in Hebrews, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. It has not happened yet. Man has no power to regain it now. I'm sure that you must remember, I mean, look back, and I, I can look back and remember even in the uh, middle, mid-50s. Believe it or not, I still remember 
I was seven years old when the Russians crushed the Hungarian Revolution in 1956. And I remember being at home with my mom and my dad in Buenos Aires. And we were listening to the news and they were broadcasting straight from Radio Moscow, speaking in Russian and then translating into Spanish. Because Radio Moscow at the time was the most powerful radio station in the world. And they were talking about their triumphs, how they, they had crushed the Hungarian Revolution in which 30,000 people lost their lives just because they wanted freedom. And I remember sitting there just so afraid because <clears throat> I, I, I could sense the atmosphere. The world was at one of those brinks of war. And then I remember in 1961 and 62, the crisis in Cuba, the blockade, and the Bay of Pigs, and the whole thing. And again, the world came to the brink of another war. And ever since I can remember, nations have tried to make peace. Treaties that they sign on paper, and before the ink dries, they're back to war again. Man tries, no matter how hard. And though some degree of peace is achieved, Yet there is such an uneasiness and distrust. Why? Because all the efforts of man are totally futile. Man will never achieve lasting peace in this age. The time, the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles is coming to an end. Pretty soon, what the Lord said in Luke 21, then the nations surrounding, the armies surrounding Jerusalem, pretty soon, this, this age is coming to a close, and the Lord will come back. Now, when will the Lord come back? Well, we don't know the exact date, but we know he will come back soon. And we can pray. The last prayer in the Bible says, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer in the Bible at the end of the 22nd chapter of Revelation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The Apostle John prayed that while he was in exile in the island of Patmos back in the year 100 AD. Imagine, 1900 years ago. He believed and he was wishing for the Lord to come back. And all the apostles, all the apostles expected the Lord to come back soon. They all speak about in these last days. Why? If they lived in the last days back then, today we're living in the last seconds. So don't get too comfortable in your seats. Don't get too comfortable in your homes. I wish I knew when the Lord came. Because I will, I will take out so many credit cards. And I'll spend money left and right, just right before the Lord comes. And then I'll take off and leave and leave all the debt to the Antichrist to pay. Right? Who said that Pastor Alex doesn't have a sense of humor, right? I believe in credit, that kind of credit. 
But here we see in our text, back in Hebrews, at the end of verse 8, we have that statement. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, meaning man. Okay? Now, in verse 9, he wraps it up. In this verse, we see that Jesus began to regain it when he came the first time. Regain what? Authority and control over this world. And will complete the task when he returns in glory to set up his messianic kingdom. Now, this is important here. Look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. There we see the reason why he took human form, why he was incarnated. Okay? We see that Jesus began to regain, he became a man, okay? And here the human side of Jesus is emphasized, not the divine side, but the human side in this verse. He is the answer to man's tragedy. Isn't that interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to man's tragedy and man commits even a bigger tragedy by rejecting him? The very one who, ha- who is the solution for everything is the one that is continually being rejected. And we see here that he became man. Why? In order to suffer, die, and rise again, that he might redeem man from sin and ultimately, res- ultimately restore the dominion that was lost because of Adam's sin. See, the Lord was not interested in just regaining control, like Satan wanted control. He could have done that. He could have done that. When he came, what is the first word that came out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He offered the kingdom to Israel. And what did Israel do? Israel rejected the kingdom. And that's why the ordeal of the last 2,000 years. Had they accepted the kingdom back then, he would have set it up back then. But has he given up? Nope. He had another, pl- another purpose in his whole plan, the salvation of man, both Jew and Gentile. Now, a great number of Jews believed, and the first believers, or Christians, if you, play, you know, prefer, they were all Jews. But then the gospel went to the Gentiles. And there came a point when more Gentiles than Jews became believers. And even they all back then knew that the Lord was going to come back one day to set up the kingdom. Remember when he he resurrected and the apostles right before his ascension in in the first chapter of the book of Acts... They asked him the question, Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's an evidence to me right there that he's going to set up a physical kingdom down here for a thousand years, like the Bible says. 
if there had been no possibility of any kingdom being set up, he said to them, no, you're wrong. He would have told them, there's no kingdom, only heaven. But what did he answer them? He says, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons, but in my Father who is in heaven. And then when he's ascending, a few verses later, the angels tell the apostles, why do you men of Galilee stand there gazing up with your mouths open? This same Jesus that went up into heaven in the same way shall come back again from heaven. You know where he's going to come back physically? From the, to the same place that he left from, the Mount of Olives. Remember the Mount of Olives? Yeah? What happened in the Mount of Olives? What did we do in the Mount of Olives? I think it went, we went to Israel for naught. The Mount of Olives. What did we do at the Mount of Olives? No, that was down in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was another day. That's the bottom of the Mount of Olives. On top of the Mount of Olives. That's where we took the picture. See, it takes a Jew to know Exactly. We were taking the picture there. Remember it was raining? Aha. Uh -huh. See? Well, that's where the Lord ascended from. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, we went to the little chapel there that is a Muslim, it was a Muslim thing, that now is, it was called the Church of the Ascension. From there he ascended. Well, he's coming back to that same place, according to the book of Zechariah. He left from there, and he's coming back from there, so there's no confusion. The same Jesus will come back to the same place at the time appointed by God the Father. And if you're skeptical, you're going to see it one day. You're going to see it because the Word of God does not lie. Okay? But meantime, the Lord became man. So that's why it says he became a little lower than the angels, meaning he became human. He's not lower in his importance, and he's not lower in his deity. He's higher, he's superior. But for a short time, he became lower because he became in the likeness of Adam, in the likeness of the human race. He demonstrated that he was human 100%, while he never stopped being God, okay? And he demonstrated this while he was here on earth. He began to restore, he will restore the uh, dominion that was lost because of Adam's sin. He began to demonstrate this while he was here on earth, and he had dominion over, uh, Psalm 8 tells us, all sheep, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. Now, did he demonstrate that in the Gospels? Absolutely. If you go to Luke chapter 5, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, just to remember the story. In chapter 5 of Luke, he tells us that he was teaching them from a boat. 
Remember that he sat on the boat and he asked them to remove the boat from the land? Where was that? That was in the Sea of Galilee. Remember the Sea of Galilee? What did we do in the Sea of Galilee? We sang and danced and sang the uh, Hatikva in the boat and the, the, the crew almost flipped when they heard us sing in Hebrew. You know, they could not believe, who are these people, you know? Uh, we rejoiced, didn't we? The Sea of Galilee, how beautiful. Well, in that same sea, that's where he was teaching from the shore, from the boat to the people in the, uh, on the shore. And it says here that when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, launch into the deep and lay down your nets for a catch. But Simon, Peter, always presumptuous and sticking his foot in his mouth, answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He had to say something. Right? And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Imagine, these expert fishermen were, were fishing all night and caught nothing. And at the Lord's word, says, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. They cast the nets, and in one second, bloom, fish all over the place, so much that two boats began to sink because of the abundance of fish. Did he have the dominion over the fish? Yeah. You better believe it. Okay? And that's not the only case. In Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27, he tells Peter, go catch the first fish. The first fish you catch, there is a coin in his mouth. Go pay taxes with that, the temple tax. Out of all the fish in the Sea of Galilee, Pete catches the first one. The Lord knew which fish it was and directed that fish to Peter's bait. Imagine, he could have caught one fish. Oh, that's not it. That's not it. No, it was the first fish, first and final. He found a coin in there. How did the Lord know that? He had dominion over it. He had dominion over it. Then in John 21, after his resurrection, he's preparing a whole breakfast of fish. And he tells again, cast your nets into the, into the water, into the, into the uh, sea. And they cast their net, their nets, and they caught what? 153 fish. Again. Time and again. And again and again. And remember when he told Peter, when Peter said, Lord, if anybody, if everybody forsakes you, yet I will not. Again, he stuck his foot in his mouth. And the Lord says, Really, Peter? Before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me three times. And you remember the story. What did Peter do? Denied him the first time. Denied him the second time. Denied him the third time. And as soon as he denied him the third time, the cock crew crowed. Did he have a dominion over the fowl of the air? And then again, one more example.
he was uh, tempted by Satan. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 12, immediately the Spirit, meaning the, meaning the Holy Spirit, drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. Where did that happen? That happened in Jericho. Do you remember Jericho? What did we do in Jericho? Besides buying creams and beauty uh, products. We rode camels. Do you remember that we were standing there and right across the valley was the Mount of Temptation? Next time we go to Israel, I'm going to grab Eduardo and say, I want to go down to the walls of Jericho. Never mind the creams. I went there in 1986, and we saw the walls, the excavations. You know what the interesting thing is? That the walls of Jericho, like the spiritual says, came tumbling down. But they did not come tumbling down, you know, like the invading army pushing the walls inward. The walls collapsed outward. And there in that place, that's where he was tempted. Remember, it was all wilderness? Okay? He drove him into the wilderness, the wilderness of Judea. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Imagine in that in, uh, inhospitable land for 40 days and 40 nights, tempted by Satan. And it says here, it gives us a detail that the other, the other Gospels don't give us. He says, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Why is it that the wild beasts didn't touch him? It's because he had dominion over the animals, everything, everything that creeps on the earth, the, everything that flies in the air, and the fish in the sea. In other words, he had power, dominion over nature. Not only over the animals, but over nature itself. Remember the Sea of Galilee again? He calmed the storm. And not only did he come the storm, another time he came walking on water. He had dominion. He demonstrated all that. As the last Adam, Jesus regained the dominion over the earth. And today everything is under his feet. As Paul the Apostle tells us. So if you open with me one second. In Ephesians chapter 1. And go to verse 20. The Apostle says, the Apostle uh, Paul tells us at the end of verse 19, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, uh, that is the Father, worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Does that include all the, the world governments? You mean the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ is above the throne of the United Kingdom? It is his throne above the government of the United States? Is it above the government of the United Arab Emirates? Is it above the government of the Union of South Africa? Now how about above the government of Greece and Turkey and Egypt? And Russia, and the whole world. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, that the worlds, the nations, 
are as nothing before him. They're like a bucket of water. And so here it says that he, uh, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see here that though he was made a little lower than the angels for a time, very short time, because he became human, okay, the son of Adam, as Luke tells us, he never stopped being the son of God, but as the son of man, temporarily, he was a little lower than the angels because of his humanity. But even as a man, he was still superior to Adam. He was superior to the angels because he proved it with the miracles he performed, who he was. He veiled his deity, but he was never emptied of it. He's still greater than all. And of course, we know that he died on the cross, was buried. Praise God, he rose again. Never again to suffer death. Never again to be buried. He is alive forevermore. And because he is alive, he said that. Because I live, you shall live as well. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light was not comprehended by the darkness. Was not overcome, in other words, by the darkness. And the Lord says, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Truly free. Truly free. And the word of God is not bound. Prayer is not bound. Your soul is not bound when Christ freed it. You're free today in Jesus. And no man has the right to try to enslave you. I began reading a book that, a little story, you know, talks about life in Russia, the Soviet Union. And how you could not even speak about Christ in your workplace. And this man, family man, was just answering questions of a co-worker that was asking him about Christianity because he was a Christian. And he was called in, fired from his job, and sent to a farm outside Moscow to work from early in the morning to late at night because he was a Christian. But you know what? Even in those cases, Christians were not bound. They could put their bodies in prison, but their souls were free. Man cannot suppress your soul. Jesus bought it with his blood, and it's his. And because he is superior, his salvation is everlasting, and his salvation is all-powerful.
I trust that you this morning appreciate what he has done for you. And if he hasn't done anything for you, that means you're not saved yet. Maybe you need to get saved today. Amen? Keep studying the book of Hebrews. Keep reading chapter 2. Lord willing, next week we're going to continue with the rest of the chapter. You know what? It gets better as it goes. So don't miss it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful this morning and so thankful, Father, for your word. We're thankful for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross of Calvary. The blood that you shed there to redeem us, to purchase us, to free us from the claws of sin, the flesh, and the devil. Thank you for making us free. Thank you, dear Lord, because you're the only one that gives true freedom. Not only true, real, but everlasting. And we thank you that that salvation is free. We cannot work for it because you grant it to all those who believe by faith because of your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your infinite love. And this morning, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to remember that sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, I pray this morning, dear Lord, that all of our hearts will be tuned in with your, your heart, our spirits with your spirit, and that we, Father, we will this morning partake of the Lord's Supper gratefully. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.